Hi there. Welcome to the Spliff Podcast. I'm Bo Nellis, your host, and this is episode 51. We are going to talk about the C word, cancer. And uh, if you are not a regular listener and you are listening to this, you've probably got some serious shit going on, and I would like to offer my sincerest condolences for whatever your situation may be. I like to open things up with a section I call Stoner Moments, where I touch on earlier podcasts that I like to clarify and things like that. Uh, First off, last week I was talking about PTSD, and uh, I was pretty satisfied with that. I mean, I'm not sure how much more I could have done, Uh, but I also talked a lot about Prop 64, and in that I said that we would be making a billions of dollar industry out of drug education. And I was being a little hyperbolic. The math doesn't really quite work that way. Probably in the course of 10 years, they would at least be getting a B out of it, but two Bs, probably not likely. So rich ass mofos for sure, way richer than I want them to be. That's just not where I want my money to go. But in and all, I'm going to let it drop. And I just wanted to clarify that my math was off. And that's it. But while we're here, let me just say, because I do forget a lot of times to please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you are currently listening, whether that be iTunes, uh, the website, or some other platform. It can really help other people find the podcast. And you know, the way that just Google works, but specifically the way that the iTunes algorithms work it really, really relies heavily on um, people's interactions. So if you can do that, sweet. And then uh, speaking of the website, there's going to be a lot of links this week. So do check them out. That's the spliffpodcast.com slash podcast. You know, one of the links that you'll find there too is actually my Patreon page where you can make contributions, financial contributions that help keep this podcast going. I'm super excited to be rolling up on my one year anniversary, doing a podcast every week for one year certainly has been a really big commitment and it's uh, been very spiritually rewarding, but I am doing it for free. So any help uh, certainly goes a long way, and uh, it would be much appreciated. So if you can do either of those things to help out the podcast or both, super awesome. And uh, I try to have some notes for all of my podcasts, and this one being as big as it is, is going to have a lot of information uh, just to, to help back up some things and give direction to some people. But all in all... It's only a drop in the bucket. And if you are new to all of this, I absolutely recommend that you check out a lot of the other podcasts that I've done. Remember, 50 other podcasts before this. Holy crap. Uh, And it really breaks down a lot of the things that you might want to know before you start on this journey, whether it be for you or for somebody else. Let's move on and talk about the C word, cancer. There are a lot of things that I I want to address in this podcast. And with over 100 different types of cancers, I really want to, to specify that the type of cancer that you have could have a very significant effect on your success 
um, whether it be uh, more of a floating tumor that you have, something like leukemia or bladder cancers can be really hard to treat versus something more stagnant like skin cancer a lot of times. Uh, and there's also issues, whether it's it's hormonal or non-hormonal, uh, going back to skin cancer that's caused by the sun versus breast cancer that can be genetic or is directly related to these very hormonally fluctuating areas. Another really big factor is access to what you personally have. If you are in a medical state like California, like I am, you have access to a lot of options more than likely. Even if you don't have storefront dispensaries in your area, you may have deliveries. Um, and then there are overnight deliveries that actually service the entire state. So if it's technically illegal, it might still be possible to access a wide variety of medicines. And a wide variety is good because there's a lot of different ways to go about uh, treating cancer. You can treat the actual cancer itself, and then you can also treat the symptoms of cancer or the symptoms of more conventional cancer treatments. Uh, there are also different cannabinoids that would make a big difference. CBD might be much more effective for uh, hormonal type of cancers like breast cancer, whereas THC is a much more effective cannabinoid for treating something like a topical skin cancer. But studies have shown that a mixture of the two really has the most potential when you're trying to actually attack the tumor. And depending on your personal tolerances, your bioindividuality, a mixture of CBD and THC can also be preferred by most patients as the most even therapeutic relief. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I also talked about what is commonly known as the entourage effect, but which is more professionally known as synergy. And that involves terpenes a lot of times. And terpenes can still play a very important role in cancer treatment on both levels. Unfortunately, it's kind of hard to pin it down to what precisely you need. And the relevancy of testing can be crucial, but the reliability of testing isn't always there. If you do have access to testing, it's always best to know everything that's in it. And I do have a podcast about testing and THC and CBD and terpenes and uh, cannabis concentrates. So I'm going to kind of skip over a lot of these terms for now, but I do have the information there for you if you find yourself confused by it. But I'm going to move on because I have so much information to do and I lollygagged and now I do not have nearly enough time to record this as I thought I would. But we're going to do this anyway. And we're going to do it the first time. All right. So the first section I'm going to talk about is definitely the more controversial of the two, uh, at least in the States. And that's actual cancer treatment. Uh, along the lines of either with chemo or instead of chemo. And I would never tell you how to do your thing. I'm just here to tell you that you have options. And any good doctor 
would tell you that either one of those things may increase your chances. Now, one certainly has one, uh, far more research, far more research behind it that actually deals with the the subject, whereas the other one has some promising research behind it that really actually deals with the dangers of marijuana and not so much cancer treatment and it's mostly anecdotal and it's kind of clinical and the research is not super stellar. So yeah, that makes it a lot harder to say with certainty this may help, but the studies are still there. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about those in just a minute. But at first I want to talk about why cannabis is such a a good substitute or partner for chemo. And that is what's known as apoptosis or apoptosis, uh, depending on how you want to say it. I mean, it's Greek and we're English. So as long as you understand that what I'm talking about is the programmed cellular death on two different levels. And specifically, I think the one that I can remember right now, so I'm going to focus on is the mitochondrial reprogramming that shows the most potential benefit successfully reversing tumor growth and from preventing any sort of metastasis in the process. Whereas chemo can sometimes actually, because it, it it doesn't enable your body to do the work. It's a poison that kind of attacks your body and the tumor, whereas cannabis actually taps into the endocannabinoid system to, to further prime your system for this process. And I do have a podcast on the endocannabinoid system, if you need to know more about that. Um, it can really help your body supercharge its own powers. Uh, whereas chemo kind of works to try and make the tumor kill itself or break it down. But your body can be so tired too that as the tumor breaks apart, the parts that are supposed to go after those smaller, weaker tumor bits don't always feel up to the job. Whereas cannabis can actually supercharge them to, to do their job even better. And I think that's one of the places where cannabis treatment is seen as such a, a benefit uh, as opposed to chemo. Now, when you're looking for research about this process and about your options, there are studies that have been done in the U.S. by the Department of Health and, and various bureaucratic organizations. But most of them have been done on rats. And again, going back to the fact that they're done under this umbrella of prohibition and the funds that are given are also tied to that prohibition, the research isn't always valuable. There is a U.S. patent on uh, the neuroprotective abilities of CBD. And the more I know about CBD, the more it's it's so much more than just a a neuroprotective. It's a really, it's a hormonal regulator. And, and, and I've been doing like some reading and stuff uh, because of my own personal journey, understanding the way that CBD works um, with what I, there's this triangle, this hormonal triangle between the reproductive organs, the pituitary gland, 
and oh god, I hope it's the hypothalamus. Uh, but CBD might help regulate the communication between those different organs. And that is one reason why CBD might be so very essential against what might seem to be hormonally induced tumors. And also why it can help even out THC so much. If THC dials your hormones up or down, CBD helps that communication act even more efficiently and in the background. The problem is the research isn't even at that level yet. They're still on petri dishes. They're still on rats. The few human studies that have been done are very small and uh, aren't aren't very scientific. Like there's a, there's no control group, things like that. Now, most of those human studies too have been done in international places and international studies are really where it's at. They're really the ones taking off, even though they might not be as scientifically sound as we would like them to be. It's still, it's still where the research is that isn't under under that dark prohibition umbrella. Now, a lot of the links that I will have are going to be English articles about that research, and then also links to some collections of the research itself, things like uh, Granny Stormcrow's list. Um, There's a a Leafly article that has a list of Spanish uh, studies, studies coming out of Spain, that is, These are the countries that are willing to actually do the human studies and be much more honest about the results, especially when it comes to cancer. Whereas the U.S., we when we are looking to actually try and find some benefits, we're we're really still more in the epidemiological stage where we're looking for the risk of association. Uh, So basically statistics and, and not a whole lot of clinical science. Uh, So Israel and Spain are leading the way there. And then ASA just opened up their research lab. The Dutch are, with their medical program, are certainly in a great space to also be producing a lot of research. But when it's more pharmaceutically inclined, like GW Pharmaceuticals with their Sativex and things like that, they aren't really going the cancer route yet. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that there are so many variables with the the different types of cancer and the different types of weed. And they just haven't unlocked that yet. And once they do, they'll throw cancer on it. I'm pretty sure about that. Whereas Israel and Spain are much more willing to, to work with the whole plant and then work out the variables later, as long as people are living. And people are living. They are thriving time and time again with these studies. It's very uplifting to see. And uh, I want to clarify that smoking weed is not a cancer treatment, uh, unless it's lung cancer, in which case, if you're just finding out about it, your window has probably closed. And I do want to say that smoking weed, there have been no studies that can positively link cannabis smoke to cancer. But that's not to say that smoking cannabis is going to prevent you from getting lung cancer, whether you smoke tobacco or not. 
But those epidemiological studies that the U.S. has done show that in various different geographies, you are much more likely to develop a lung cancer or some sort of head neck cancer if you also smoke tobacco. And they, they do make notes that they really need to weed out the tobacco users entirely in order to know if cannabis itself is a cancer causer. Um, but they haven't been able to do that fully. However, very few instances show that cannabis users in a whole lot of different places are getting lung cancer. And time and time again, it's uh, it's shown that it's going to lead back to a tobacco use, not just the cannabis use. And I think I have that link on there too. So if we aren't smoking weed to kill cancer, what are we doing with it? I can tell you right now, if I went to the doctor and got some terrible news, I would be making 100% some cannabis concentrate and using that. And so that's what I'm going to talk about next. And then it isn't 100%. And even when the, the cannabis works, other things don't. And, and life just doesn't always work out super great. But... Well, there's two ways to use cannabis concentrates uh, in order to fight cancer, and that is topically and as an edible. One of the tricks and one of the difficulties to fighting cancer with cannabis is getting those cannabinoids as close to that cancer as humanly possible, as close to that tumor or glioma or whatever is the issue as humanly possible. And that's part of the problem with things like uh, leukemia, where there might be particulates in your blood or I don't, I'm not an oncologist. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how this works, but from the way I understand it, if you've got cancer that could be going through your blood, that's coming out of your bone marrow, it can be really hard to, uh, to tie down and kill all the bad guys. And, and in order to do this, people flood their system with cannabinoids. And that's where the concentrate comes in. And in order to do that, you have to eat it. But if you have something like uh, skin cancer or some weird moles or bumps or things like that, using it on the skin is the most effective way. You treat it there. You don't want to eat a cannabis oil necessarily just because you have a bad mole. You want to use that concentrate on the area. One of the great things about topical application too is that it doesn't get you high. Now, can cancer from the skin also move into different parts of your body? So therefore, maybe flooding your system with some cannabinoids could also be a great preventative measure. Yeah, I think so. But for some people, that is an overwhelming experience. And if they don't have to do it, they would prefer not to. So I want you to know that you may not have to get high and eat a bunch of weed just in order to, to fight your particular type of cancer. However, most people are going to find that they are going to have to eat what is commonly known as Phoenix Tears or RSO which is another podcast that I have. Now, I want to clarify that hemp oil is oftentimes touted as a, a concentrate of cannabis. And that is true, but most hemp oil 
I personally would not recommend for cancer treatments. Uh, not at this time, at least. Oils that are being made from the stock and the non-flower parts of the plant just aren't good sources for medicine in these large quantities. If you are someone who is very sensitive to cannabinoids, who might have an unsteady hand, so getting these teeny tiny dosages, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit, uh, is not an easy thing then yeah, having a, a concentrate that is actually a bit more diluted could be significantly beneficial to you. However, what you lack in cannabinoids, you will make up for in other things, whether that be chlorophyll or more terpenes or coconut oils or things that, that water it down. Uh, the most problematic are uh, usually come to to metals and and different types of toxins that the hemp plant has pulled out of the soil because the way that I understand it, hemp can actually clarify and renew the dirt that it grows in. I only heard a little bit and I need to look more into it about some stories that uh, they're growing cannabis to renew the ground uh, from nuclear waste in Japan. And I, it, I'm not, it's shocking, but I'm not shocked because of the cannabis ability. I'm shocked because Japan is so anti-cannabis. But when you, when the cannabis plant is pulling those things from the ground, and then you're making an oil from that cannabis plant, oftentimes you could end up with those toxins in your oil. And so growing organically or getting an organically sourced oil is really important. Using good quality solvents in the cannabis oil, whether that be ethanol alcohol or something like naphtha, which is not recommended uh, and because it's just too hard to find quality naphtha and things like that. But that is the traditional one that Rick Simpson talks about. So if you can, sourcing an oil that is organic and made from the flower material, which is the part that holds the most medicine anyway, is going to be is going to increase your likelihood of success because you won't feel sick because of it. If uh, if you get some cannabis that was grown indoors with a bunch of chemicals so that it was super dank, and then you get some oil that was made from that and the plant wasn't flushed properly, uh, where, you know, you actually like just use water and, and you don't use any chemicals so that the plant renews itself from those, those uh, fertilizers, then you can end up with an oil that makes you really sick because you're ingesting those fertilizers. And a lot of people have problems with that. They think they're getting sick from the cannabinoids. And the problem is they didn't have access to good material. And it's the toxins in the material that's making them sick, unfortunately. And and that can be really devastating. But no matter what, if you are eating a concentrated form of cannabis, be prepared to get high. Whether that is a mixture of THC and CBD, or even if it is a higher concentrate of CBD. Because I want to clarify for you that CBD is not non-psychoactive. CBD, going back to the hormonal regulation and that triangle, the only reason it can do that regulation is because it can get into your brain through the blood-brain barrier, which is 
part of the definition of psychoactivity. It can also alter your mental and therefore physical state by lowering your anxiety. And a lot of people have different physiological responses to that. So some people can feel much more affected than others. So labeling it as non-psychoactive is a misnomer and is doing a disservice to a percentage of people who are going to be trying this. And this is the part where it's hard for a lot of people, dosage. And the problem that, or what makes it hard for a lot of people is that dosage varies significantly. And the only way to really nail it down is to experiment. So you always start slowly. If this means really just kind of like using your tooth to just maybe get a little bit of the oil out of the, the pipette and, uh, or syringe and just kind of letting it eventually come off your teeth. It's gross. It'll taste gross, but it's a very slow way to get some concentrate and see how you feel with it. Or if that's the more traditional, grain of rice size dosage. And the dosage goes back to how concentrated is your oil? Does it have a 60% cannabinoid content of a CBD to THC ratio of one to one so that you have 300 milligrams of CBD and 300 milligrams of THC? Or is it one of those hemp oils that is only going to have about 132 milligrams of CBD? That's going to make a really big difference. But the primary thing really comes down to just how you feel and how much you can take. Uh, the Rick Simpson suggestion is to start with a grain of rice and three times a day and move up every four days. Um, that's a lot for some people. Some people are way too sensitive for that. Some people can barely take it before they go to bed. And, and they wake up still feeling groggy or affected or anxious or kind of depressed. And all of those things can happen. But I want to remind people that they can happen with any drug. And that chemo is probably got a much longer, worse list of side effects. So in the grand scheme of things... Sometimes you have to make sacrifices in order to move a little bit forward, and that's completely your decision. If this is something you feel that you can pursue, go for it. If it's something that you you try to back off on and try to back off on, and it just nothing seems to get rid of the the dizziness or the nausea, things like that, then maybe this isn't the best option for you. Um and I do have the feeling that it's just not, it's not going to be an option for everyone. The same way that painkillers, opioids, aren't an option for a lot of people. Some people just can't do them. They just, you give them like the smallest Vicodin ever and they're like, nope, nope, can't do it. And unfortunately, cannabinoids are going to be the same way for some people, especially in these super high doses. I do want to say that weight is not a factor. You cannot say, oh, because I'm a bigger person, I should have more. Um, 
It's, it's just not the way it works. It really comes down to your metabolism, the bioavailability of the product. Uh, oils and alcohols will intensify the bioavailability, and they can also intensify the high if you're working with activated materials. Uh, and that's another thing I didn't even talk about. The acidic forms could also play a significant part in tumor reduction. And and I wasn't, I didn't even find anything about that. But the acidic form of THC, known as THCA, can reduce inflammation a lot of times. And if you use that in conjunction with CBD and THC, that could also increase your chances of success. Uh, but But a lot of that comes down to just the way that your body processes it and and not your weight going back to my original point uh, in this section um I have to weigh at least 60 pounds more than my sister I smoke weed a lot more often than she does though she is smoking it more often as the years go by and she requires at least three times more cannabis uh, in milligrams. Uh, so doing a little math, I usually like about 12 to 15 milligrams of cannabis. And she usually likes about 45 milligrams of cannabis. Even though I weigh more than she does, even though I'm a bigger person than she does, her body just processes it differently than I do. Some people like to go from weight I don't think that's a consistent or reliable way to go about it. To me, the most reliable thing to do is to go slow and bump it up until you feel like you've hit a level and then back it off and then bump it up some more and then back it off. But that's another thing I want to talk about is that um, there's nothing proven that while, while we have... Uh, and the company, I forgot its new name again. It's, it's a company that I've talked about before that deals with cannabis research. And their old name was Nuvalex. And, and that's how I understand that keeping the cannabinoids at the site is best. And I've used that in other areas of my life with a lot of success using cannabis concentrates to fight uh, inflammation and muscle pain, which I talk about a lot in other episodes. And keeping that that area constantly agitated to promote healing is what really helps your body know that the tumor is not, it's not supposed to be there and to help fight against it. And as long as your body is receiving that signal, it should work. But what we don't know or what we can't prove is that smaller doses can be equally effective to, to larger doses depending on the cancer and the person. So starting slow isn't isn't deterring from your your likelihood of success. It's perfectly okay to start slowly and work your way up. Be comfortable with it. If you're somebody who processes it really easily, small amounts could be just as effective, even more effective because the body can downregulate certain things and and too much of CBD uh, according to Project CBD, can can interact with different medications and things like that. So starting slow is definitely the way to go. Start slowly. Now, that's also really great advice as I move into the next section, which is using cannabis for chemotherapy management 
or end-of-life management. This is where you're much more likely to be smoking it or using tinctures and using much smaller dosages. Though these smaller dosages can be, like I said, just as effective for some people. Now, cannabis for cancer management is uh, going to, to target appetite, nausea, vomiting, pain, depression, sleep, and uh, even things like the, the ability of the skin to, to heal from radiation and uh, chemotherapy and things like that. You can use cannabis topically to address a lot of those issues. So it isn't just about smoking it when it comes to cancer management. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of our politicians don't understand that you don't have to smoke a joint. You don't have to eat a brownie in order to, to really benefit from this as a medicine. Yeah, I guess the train came by. Time for a break in the neighborhood of make-believe. That's good because I needed that bowl. I've been feeling really serious this episode. But honestly, if you can do one thing to help out the cause... Writing your local politicians, if you're in an area that is pro-prohibition, and letting them know that cannabis doesn't have to be smoked, and it doesn't have to be in a brownie, and that it can address all of these things because of the endocannabinoid system, that's going to go a long way for some education and some, some head scratching and hopefully some mind opening because people are scared. People have been led to believe that weed causes cancer. Now, is that true? Does weed cause cancer? It, studies show that it doesn't. Smoking weed doesn't. There's been, going back, there's been no conclusive, non-biased study that actually shows there's any correlation, yet alone causation. You know, when we started suspecting that about tobacco, the, the big tobacco companies absolutely still try to suppress it, but we found it out pretty quickly and we started to address it, all things considering. We have been studying cannabis under a very powerful microscope for the last uh, 50 years, at least since the Controlled Substances Act, and there hasn't been anything just to say, actually, you know what? We definitely should not do this. In fact, the studies say, actually, surprisingly, these people are pretty healthy. Studies have shown that moderate cannabis smokers have better lung function than non-smokers. And as someone who's had shitty lung function my whole life, especially when I was smoking cigarettes, I have to say I've never been able to breathe better than when I've just been smoking cannabis even when I smoke a lot of it, though I do breathe best when I dab. I have way less coughing that way. And uh, the flower, it could still make me cough, that's for sure. And the heat has its own issues, which I think is an area that doesn't get looked at often enough uh, because so many of the studies are trying to blame THC. But one area that hasn't been studied effectively enough, especially as we move forward with the, the cancer-fighting concentrates, and as we become more terpene fanatic, and trust me, I am a huge fan of terpenes, 
is whether or not terpenes can actually maybe induce hormonal fluctuations that could be cancer causing. And, um, and I just think it's a really intriguing potential that should 100% be flushed out. One of the things that's going to stymie it is the fact that we don't have cannabis profiles for humans. We just, we need the human studies. We need to profile how humans respond to cannabis before we're really going to be able to start divvying up the the kinds of groups of people that we use and how we understand the results that we're getting. Um, but if THC can induce depression or it can induce stress and it is, uh, as I'm starting to understand, more of a hormonal fluctuator, and especially if it isn't used in conjunction with CBD, which is regulating it even more, it's it's a potential. There's a potential there. I'm not going to deny that. It's low. I mean, we certainly haven't found anything yet. So I do want to say that. I am being like super hypothetical about this and thinking, you know, I'm playing like chess in my head with terpenes and cancer and the research. And so I don't want to freak anybody out. I'm just thinking, you know, I don't think anybody had issues with crystals and vitamin C until we started making tablets out of them. Uh, and too much of anything can be can be really damaging. But the nice thing is that there is nothing that works with your body in innumerable ways like cannabis or maybe oxygen that's not as much fun it's harder to control but if you're worried because you used to smoke cannabis or because somebody has suggested that you smoke cannabis that it might be carcinogenic in and of itself I hope that you feel a little bit better at rest because there's just nothing that really seems to support that stance whatsoever all right, well, that pretty much wraps up my cancer episode. Um, I hope I made sense. I hope I helped you understand that you have a lot of options if you have a loved one or if you are personally dealing with cancer uh, that you can use to fight and that you can also use to manage and that you should always start slowly and understand yourself first before you really start disseminating all of the other kinds of advice that you're going to get as far as strains and cannabinoid ratios, uh, anything you can get your hands on. And the more information you have, definitely the better. But this comes down to a personal fight. Okay. I'm going to move on to a safety meeting. Let's shake off all that seriousness. <laughs> but I'm still going to keep it real because I know a lot of people are wondering what's the best strain for them, especially if uh, they want to avoid the anxiety or the depression. And for that, I'd say look into the Indica versus Sativa episodes but still work with your own personal thing because there are people who are going to be complete opposite of what the average cannabis user is. 
So I have a friend that I have been trying to help her find a cannabis strain for so long, and she's so high strung, and we have tried so many different indicas and relaxing sativas, and finally, she was able to find some relief and get some sleep with a strain that I would never be able to sleep on, which is sour diesel. But it had this like, it was like giving Ritalin to someone with ADD, and it just helped melt all of her anxiety away, helped her body relax, helped her mind turn off, and she was able to sleep. So no matter what anybody says, if you have 20 people telling you that this is the way a strain works, but when you take it, it does something differently, listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. But personally, there are some things that I I find myself to be a fairly average cannabis consumer. I fall into the wide berth of the bell curve for sure. And one thing that I've noticed specifically for pain is that anything that's got like candy in the name is usually good for me. Cotton candies, um, Candyland is another option too. Anything with a, a rather sweet profile, sugary sweet, not just a creamy sweet dessert sweet, but like straight up sugar sweet is really great for pain management, not just in myself, but in other people that I have known who have body pain management issues, specifically chronic pain management. And I would say too, generally organ related body pain management. And now that I think about it a little bit more, not necessarily like fibro or MS though I'm sure it would go a long way. I've never heard of one of those patients coming back with, um, oh, this is the best strain. It's usually more of like a a GDP or, or something along those lines. But the other day, it occurred to me that I think I might be dealing with a kidney stone. Oh my God, what the fuck? I'm so old now, right? Um, first time in my life, I haven't actually gone to the doctor. Just going to throw that out there. Didn't go to a doctor and get an ultrasound or anything like that because I don't have that kind of money. And from what I understand, there isn't really anything they can do until it becomes really bad. And um, it doesn't seem to be really bad. It's just really painful. It's kind of like I threw my back out, but under my shoulder and then it, it moves to like under my boob and it's like sharp but it's also like dull and there all the time and then it's like the nausea that comes after it was kind of brutal and I I tried a, I threw like everything at it I have this Kiva bar that's CBD THC a one-to-one ratio I ate that um I took some THCA and that didn't really help Um, I was smoking, um, some skunk. I was smoking the white Buffalo. I was taking dabs of GDP. I was taking dabs of black Jack, some indica dominant hybrids that I have. None of it was helping. And then I went to this Candyland flower that I normally only do at night and isn't normally my thing. It's got some purple in it. It's super dense and dark green, But I do usually find, when I've needed it, body pain relief from those kind of candy-named strains. 
And I shit you not, within one bong load, the pain had subsided significantly. And within a few more bong loads, the pain was almost gone. It was completely manageable. So I just kept smoking more of the Candyland throughout my afternoon. And and by the evening, it was gone. And I didn't really, I mean, I knew it was there and I had to stay hydrated. I was drinking my water and, and things like that. Um, oh, that's right. I tried apple cider vinegar. Um, I, I did a couple things to help with it. But that bong load of Candyland was immediate and effective. And I ended up being able to go out that night and I went to karaoke and this lady came in and she's like, oh my God, I thought there was like a band. You're not singing? And I was like, you just made like my life. (laughs) I love it. And I wouldn't have had that experience if I was sitting at home in severe pain because if I moved my arm the wrong way, I was like, (laughs) yeah. Um, but I did, I did, I will admit, I had a beer when I was out too, or I had two beers while I was out, which I know is stupid if I'm dealing with kidney stones, but I was having an emotional time, which is one of the reasons I went out. And, uh, and when I came home and I went to lay in bed, some of the pain came back. Like it started like slow and started throbbing and then it was just getting worse. And I was like, who put a baseball between my heart and my shoulder? And, uh, and so I did something that I don't normally do, which is I got out of bed to smoke weed. That's not something I normally do, to be honest. Uh, not because my bong is right next to my bed. Um, I don't actually keep a bong next to my bed currently because my ex-partner didn't smoke and it just wasn't nice to do in the bedroom. The bedroom was like a safe zone. And so I just, I haven't been in the habit of keeping all of that in my bedroom. So I get up and I go smoke a bong load in the living room and I probably had three bong loads and the pain started to ease away again. And I got back into bed and when I fell asleep, I probably felt a little bit of the pain but when I woke up, it's been gone and I haven't, I, I haven't had any of the pain since I have had some nausea issues, which I'm assuming leads back to it from all of my Googling. Cause that's where I learned these things from. And, uh, and I tried a lot of other strains that I normally use to address nausea, which are sativas, which are plentiful around me because I love my sativas. And none of them worked as effectively, even for the nausea, as the Candyland. And I don't know if that's because Candyland and the kidney stone pain specifically, like they tie in together, it probably has something to do with those signals and exactly how the terpenes in Candyland in my body signaled to my brain to deal with pain and it really just helped turn it off. I mean, I talk a lot of times about how cannabis isn't a pain killer, but that really blew my mind. Uh, I I mean, I can't say that Candyland or cotton candy will be perfect for you if kidney stones are an issue you deal with, but and, and, and to be fair, I can't even say verifiably that this was a kidney stone but i'm pretty fucking sure and candyland just has to be something that i keep around now if i mean i hope i don't get more kidney stones but i don't plan on quitting drinking coffee or not eating quinoa anytime soon so chances are i might end up with another kidney stone 
And Candyland is definitely going in my medicine cabinet. That is 100% something I don't ever want to find myself without in the wrong moment. So, yeah. This safety meeting, right strain for the pain, makes all the difference. All right, you guys, that's going to wrap up this week. I'm super excited. Uh, Yeah, next week is episode 52, my official last episode of the year before I move on to a brand new year. And uh, I got a lot of information out there. Not quite sure what 52 is going to be about yet. Uh, I might try and do something a little bit more fun since I've been really serious lately, but you never know. I might be inspired to be real, real goddamn serious again. You never know. You never know. All right, you guys. Thanks for spliffing it. Ciao for now. Mm-hmm.